followed by glory is also the pattern for Christian ministry, and it is the pattern for the Christian life. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. In our text this afternoon, we read the last half of our verse here. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. We're considering again this afternoon the weakness and power that is not of the world. It's not the kind of weakness uh, that the world despises, and it's not the kind of power that the world seeks, but it's a different kind of weakness and power that is characteristic of Christ, and in him it is characteristic also of the experience and life of those who belong to him. This afternoon, then, we consider the second part of this verse, looking at our weakness and power in Christ. Now, it's true that Paul speaks of himself and his fellow ministers specifically in this passage. He's describing his own experience. He's uh, describing his own self-knowledge as an apostle of Christ. And he's doing so in the face of uh, criticism and misunderstanding among Christians there in Corinth. But the way he does so also teaches us because he is a pattern of Christian thinking when it comes to these issues of weakness and power. That is true with respect to what he uh, said concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's true of what he says of himself, and it's true also of what he says of us. Uh, when it comes to these categories that are so important to the world, as I said, the, the world celebrates power and despises and avoids weakness of every kind. Union with the Lord Jesus Christ, it changes all that. And it brings us to think and to feel differently about these things. Though our text is small and it's in connection with Paul's own defense of his Christian ministry, it relates to fundamental issues of the Christian faith and of the Christian life. And I trust we'll continue to see that as uh, we consider together, first of all, the fact that we also are weak in him, that is, in Christ. And I, I realize that such a statement could be misunderstood. It could even seem to be uh, in conflict with other passages of Scripture where uh, we are exhorted to be strong, uh, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But actually, those passages are not at odds. They're not in conflict at all with uh, the kind of weakness that characterizes the Christian life, a weakness that is also uh, united with a kind of strength. In fact, the strength of the Christian life is precisely a kind of strength that enables us to face, to live with, to bear weakness. 
And that's actually true if you uh, consider what Paul means when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, that's a kind of passage that sometimes people will quote when they feel that they've accomplished something great. Athletes will quote this passage when they make a touchdown. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, they don't quote that passage when they just get fouled out or when they just get tackled, but it's just appropriate if they understand it because the all things that Paul was able to do was to be content in all different circumstances. He knew how to be abased. He knew how to be brought low. And that was the strength of of Christ, the, the, the strength of the Christian faith that enabled him to suffer want, to feel weakness, and yet be content in those circumstances. We also are weak in him in relationship to Christ. What does that mean? Well, for one thing, in Christ, that is in relationship to Christ, there is the weakness of graciousness. That was an important aspect of our Lord's voluntary weakness. We couldn't consider this morning that he uh, voluntarily entered a state of weakness and he lived in a condition of weakness. And much of that weakness was demonstrated in the way of graciousness. He could have shown divine power, and he will uh, show divine power also in the way of judgment. But he could have shown that kind of divine power on earth in the time of his humiliation. He could have shown a kind of harshness or a sharpness or a kind of authority that would have been righteous. But how often did he show forbearance and great patience and the gentleness of weakness in dealing uh, with his disciples and even in dealing with his enemies? How often in his conflicts with the Jews does he show a sweet reasonableness in seeking to persuade, we may say, of his own identity and the nature of his own mission. I say these things to you, he told the Jews in John chapter 5, who were out to kill him. I tell you these things that you may be saved. He could have used sharpness. He could have spoken words of judgment so often through the time of his humiliation and suffering, but he did not do so in the service of graciousness because the Son of Man did not come into the world to, to destroy the world or to judge men's lives, but to save them. And he showed that voluntary weakness in the way of graciousness. He kept to this mission of grace. And there's a comparison here also to Paul's ministry. He had authority. He had apostolic authority. He makes reference to that in uh, Verse uh, 10 of our reading, for this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. That's a phrase that he had repeated elsewhere 
when he refers to his authority as an apostle. He was uh, judged as uh, writing with strong words of authority from a distance. But when he is present, well, his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. And he makes clear that that was uh, an exercise of graciousness. But he also gives this warning that if they don't recognize the the intent and conform to the purpose of that graciousness. He will be present with them what he appears to be by his letters. That is, he would use sharpness and harshness if that's what's necessary. But it's like he'll only resort to it if necessary. Sometimes rebuke is necessary, but mildness and gentleness is, is usually more Christ-like and it may be perceived as weakness, but it's actually the strength of grace. And it's the strength of Christ, which he exhibited and even does yet to this day in his patience and gentleness with us as a, as a sympathetic high priest. In Christ is the weakness of graciousness, and that certainly is not simply something for an apostle to imitate, but it's something for Christians to imitate. When they think they have just cause to be angry and perhaps to use sharp words, and maybe so, but perhaps it might also be much more Christ-like and more effective to use gentle words. A soft answer turns away wrath. And we're called to be like our Savior, even as the Apostle himself did. But secondly, being in Christ means sharing his weakness in suffering. To be weak in him uh, means what Paul speaks of elsewhere, as to share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. And that's God's way of causing us to die more and more unto sin. And the Apostle Paul certainly knew what that meant in the course of his ministry. He speaks of that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in uh, verse, verse 9 and, and following, we read, I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ, using a little bit of irony there. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in dis disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. Doesn't that sound like the Lord Jesus Christ? When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And he does that for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel ministry that was entrusted to him. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 20 and uh, and following, we have that litany of sufferings that he endured. I made 
I made brief reference to that this morning, but we'll read more of these, uh, these verses this, uh, this afternoon, beginning at verse uh, 20. He says, you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. He's referring here to those super apostles that uh, gave a semblance of authority and power by their manner of ministry. And he, uh, Paul observes that the Corinthians would be so impressed by such a display that they would kind of submit to it. And then with a tone of irony, he says, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. He feels constrained to defend his credentials in this way with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. He refers to things that uh, he may have in common with these uh, Jewish leaders, but then he goes beyond to speak of things that he doesn't have in common with them. And they all have the form of suffering and hardship. imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. A litany of experiences that were all marked by suffering, weakness of one form of another. Because weakness was Paul's experience of labor in Christ's service. We read this morning that he was willing to spend and to be spent in the service of the gospel, to be poured out, to be exhausted for the sake of uh, Christ and his church. And along with these physical uh, dangers and uh, all these sufferings that were inflicted upon him, he experienced the mental and emotional uh, stress out of sympathy uh, with uh, the believers there for whom he labored. Apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? In other words, when he confronts the reality of the weakness of the faith of these Christians whom he serves, he feels a kind of weakness in sympathy with them. When they fall into sin, he burns with indignation. He suffers in sympathy and concern for them. 
He faces the discouragement. He faces the disheartening effects that he encounters in the course of gospel ministry. These were characteristics of the weakness that he experienced. Yes, Paul admits uh, to being a weakling, an actual fact, and for many reasons, for these physical causes, for the pressures and the afflictions of his soul that he experienced. He was weak in his own feelings, his own sense of ability. He realized that he had no resources within himself to face the challenges before him as a Christian, as an apostle. And he was weak in the opinion and he was weak in the judgments of others. And he felt that. And we may experience all those different kinds of weakness in one way or another. But such weakness does not mean failure. It doesn't mean that Christ uh, has failed us. It doesn't mean a lack of faith. It doesn't mean uh, God's punishment. It's part of the Christian life. It's part of the experience of union with Jesus Christ. It comes with the territory, we might say, of being in Christ. And for that reason, it's, it's not a negative thing. It's not something to be avoided. It's not a kind of liability. It's not something that's somehow at odds or in conflict with Christ's all-sufficient provisions. And it's not something that is at odds with fruitfulness in the Christian life. Yes, Paul is kind of an extreme example of these thing, kinds of things because he suffered so greatly. But the value of that is that it covers every other kind of weakness that we may experience. And we can learn the same lessons that Paul learned in union with the Lord Jesus Christ and a partaker of his sufferings. And you see that such weakness when we experience it, is to be accepted. We might say that it's something to be embraced because it is the very context in which we learn more of Christ and more of his service. Paul accepted the charge of weakness. We heard that in verse 9. We are glad when we are weak. And there he's not using irony. He's sincere we're happy to feel weakness. We're glad when we are weak, and you are strong. And there he means strength uh, in, a, in, a, in a genuine way. If our weakness serves your spiritual growth and strength, that makes us happy. We're glad about it. He accepted the charge of weakness. In fact, in the previous chapter 12, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Another reading says, I take pleasure in these things. That's not a kind of uh, 
you know, delight in self-inflicted pain, a kind of masochism. No, he had come to learn that when he is weak, he experiences a different kind of strength in Christ. In fact, in the previous verse, he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. He actually says that three times in chapter 12, in verse 5, in verse 11, and in verse 30. He's going to boast in his weaknesses? Well, why would he do that? Well, he tells us, he says, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When I know myself, when I face the reality of my weaknesses, then I'm in the place to appreciate, like never before, the sufficiency of Christ and the way his strength is made perfect in weakness. Brothers and sisters, in a way we might say in response to this, let's not waste our weaknesses. Let's not be deaf to the message that the Lord is sending us through weakness. We pray for sanctification. We pray for growth in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray for communion with him. Well, when he confronts us with our weaknesses, we need to recognize the answer to prayer. And don't fight it. Don't resist it. It may come in the form of conflicts. It may come sometime in the form of unjust accusations. It may come in the form of people that are against you and they may make insults against you. And our natural response, of course, is to exhibit the, world, the world's kind of strength, the strength of revenge, of defending ourselves, of failing to admit even that little bit of truth in those insults. Rather, the wise thing would be to Embrace those insults as intended for good, at least in terms of God's purpose, in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we should, uh, that we should silently endure serious mistreatment and abuse in the home, as if Christ calls us simply to suffer without recourse, without seeking to uh, uh, seek righteousness and love for neighbor. We're talking about those kinds of insults that we face that really insult our pride more than anything else. And we're to recognize that when we face those kinds of experiences or physical weakness or we face the reality of letdowns, disappointments, opposition, hardship, in our task, in our calling. Let's not miss the opportunity. Learn to sing along with the children, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. They are weak, but he is strong. We are weak, but he is strong. I am weak, but he is strong. Don't resist that message that is part of uh, the Christian life in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, in which we're called also to share in his sufferings.
But then secondly, we also are weak in him, but secondly, we live with him, with Christ, by the power of God. We also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God, Paul says. Now, that's, that's resurrection life, uh, but that is not only future. We have fellowship with Christ in his sufferings, but we also uh, have fellowship with him in his resurrection. We are already raised to newness of life. Our baptism testifies to that. We are united with Christ so that we might walk in newness of life through his power that lives in us. So it's not simply future. In our text, we see that it was a power already shown by the apostles. And he says, toward you. It was a power that was shown on behalf of the Corinthians. It's a power that is not of this world, but it's a power that is very active in this world. It's a power that's very active in the church. It is in mighty operation now, right along with the experiences of weakness. It's very important for us to see that. It's not simply a chronological thing we're talking about. Weakness and then strength. But rather, weakness, but right along with weakness, a kind of strength. And again, uh, to hear that in the, the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. In verse 9 of the previous chapter, we heard him say, uh, when I am weak, then am I strong. In chapter 4 of, uh, of this, uh, this same epistle, Paul describes that in verses uh, seven and following, following. Must see, I'm in the first, first epistle. He says, we have this treasure, that is the treasure of the gospel, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, that's weakness, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You see how these things are taking place simultaneously. The kind of troubles that would crush somebody without the strength of Christ. It doesn't happen because of the power of Christ. And on and on through those different experiences that he describes here. And the gospel ministry, then, is proof of this power of Christ. Paul refers to it in the previous verse. You seek proof of the power of Christ? Christ speaking in me? Yes, that's how the power of Christ is manifested through the apostles, through his word. 
And if sinners do not repent at that word, well, then Christ also speaks words of warning and judgment through me, Paul is saying. You see, it's not signs and wonders. That's what a lot of professing Christians get all excited about. So-called signs and wonders. It's not worldly rhetoric. That's what was impressing some of these Corinthians by these apostles who could uh, speak very fluently and eloquently with worldly wisdom. It's not impressive personalities. It's the message of Christ crucified. Crucified in weakness. Judged as contemptible by the world. But to us who believe, this gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, God effectively says to the weak, be strong, be strong. In union with this Savior, with a strength that the world doesn't know. And you see, brothers and sisters, every true Christian is living proof of this power. Again, the example of Paul might seem to us to be so far out of reach that uh, we can hardly relate to so much of what he says of his own life and experience. And uh, if that's true of you, it's true of me also, even as a minister of the gospel. Uh, Because Paul was appointed by God to be a kind of example After Christ, of course, Christ is the ultimate example as well. But Christ as a a real saved sinner kind of an example that is big enough to cover every kind of experience that would follow. And if we can only relate to him in measure, well, that's because we share in the knowledge of the same Savior. It's important to us to be aware of that. But the power of Christ manifested through the ministry of the word is something that every true Christian experiences. In verse 5, right after our text, we have this exhortation, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Now, we might say, well, that seems like a total different subject. It's like Paul just changed the subject altogether. Now he's calling for self-examination. Well, he didn't change the subject. It's very much to the point, actually. You see, many wanted to examine Paul by worldly standards. And many would disqualify him by those worldly standards. Oh, he's contemptible and weak. But he testifies to his credentials. And he does so by the effect of his message. Because wherever that message is received, Christ himself enters in. It's as if 
Paul turns the tables on those who are questioning his authority, on those who are questioning his ministry. But actually, they had heard the gospel from him. And so if it's a question of the authenticity of his ministry, they should examine themselves. If Christ is in them, well, what is the explanation for that? The real power of the ministry has been exhibited to them. Because wherever this gospel ministry, however it may be preached in weakness, wherever the message is really received and sinners believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is in them. They are united to this one. You see, the power that Paul speaks of is not merely the power of ministry. He says he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God, for we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him. He doesn't say we will serve with him or we will minister with him, but we will live with him by the power of God. And that's true of every believer. Every believer in Christ lives in him by the power of God. It's the power of spiritual life through the indwelling Christ. It is Christ in you that is the proof of the power of gospel ministry. Christ in you as your sanctifier. Christ in you as the one who teaches you to know your weakness, who confronts you with that, so that, yes, you might feel weak in yourself, that you might know yourself as you truly are, but that in doing so, you might know the power of Christ, that spiritual power that is yours. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our life. That's how Paul refers to him in Colossians chapter 3. He is our life. And we come as those who are weak unto death in ourselves. And to receive him, not simply to receive a message about him, not to simply receive orthodox truths, but to receive him. To feed upon him by faith as our only life. And that is to find true strength. True strength in the knowledge and the comfort of sins forgiven. in the assurance of eternal life. Nourishing strength that brings us along this path of, of spiritual maturity, of good comfort, those things that are included in, in Paul's benediction and assurance in verse 11. 
when he says, aim for restoration, restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Nourishing strength, giving good comfort and peace with a God of love and peace who is with us. That's power. That's true spiritual power. And it's found in Christ, in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, in a power that is known in weakness. Amen.